Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by Nukeproof and Crank Brothers. I've been running Nukeproof's Horizon V2 wheels over the last few weeks, which is exactly the same as what the EWS team are going to be on this year too, and I'll be telling you how you can win your own pair in just a minute. When you dig into the detail, you can see that these wheels have been really well thought about. With ABEC high performance bearings and full contact labyrinth seals for longevity, 102 points of free hub engagement for ultra fast pickup, 30mm internal rim width to work with modern gravity tyres, and a magnesium silicon enriched alloy blend to tune the balance of stiffness and ductility, which is also sleeved instead of welded for consistent strength. They're also using regular J Bend spokes, so you're not going to struggle to find replacements if you ever need them. I really like how the wheels look, they're nicely understated and the freehub doesn't make a racket but you can hear it getting on with its job. They come fully taped and with a tubeless valve in place this setup is no issue. I've had two sets of tyres on them and they've all gone up straight away with just a regular track pump first time. If you're hard on kit then don't worry, they're downhill approved so they are tough and durable. You can buy them separately, you've got a choice of axle, boost, non-boost, freehub, all that kind of stuff and you can get a mixed wheel size pair too. They're all available from your local Nukeproof dealer. To be in with a chance of winning your own pair of Horizon V2 wheels worth £400, all you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash nukeproof. That'll take you to a nukeproof landing page where you can enter by joining their newsletter. No spam, just an email once a week keeping you up to date with what nukeproof and their race team are up to. You've got until the 1st of April to enter, so you better be quick. Earlier this year, Crank Brothers launched their first ever range of shoes, and I've been lucky enough to be using the Boa version of both the Clip and the Flat Pedal shoe for a couple of months now. They've fast become my go-to riding shoe, and I'm really impressed with what they've achieved. They're mega comfy, and they feel well-made and high quality, so that's a great start, but it's when you ride in them that they really excel. The Clip Pedal shoe pairs perfectly with the Mallet pedals, and I've been blown away with how much easier they've made clipping in and out of the pedals. It's meant that I feel way more confident riding with Clips, and I'm spending more time on them than ever before. With a flat pedal shoe, I think Crank Brothers have managed to find the right balance between ultimate grip and still being able to make micro adjustments to your foot position as you ride. I've not experienced any of the knee issues that I've felt with stickier sold flat shoes that don't allow my feet to move at all, but I also haven't had any issues with the feet slipping on the pedals, even in some pretty rough, fast trails. The Boa is the top of the range, but I would say it's worth it as it makes them the easiest shoes to get on and off that I've ever used. That's even more important this time of year when they're totally covered in mud. They also have a speed lace version and a regular lace version too though, so there are plenty of options if the Boa isn't for you. If you're in the market for some new shoes, then check them out at crankbrothers.com or at your local Crank Brothers stockist. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to get the podcast as soon as a new episode is available, then make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe, so please hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe, where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. It'd also be great if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to chat with you in the comments there. All right, so in a recent episode with Tracy Mosley, we chatted about some of the challenges and conflicts that we're seeing with trail access in the UK right now. There was a really strong response, so it's clearly something that is widespread and it's definitely something that's been on my mind for a while now. 
Off the back of the episode with Tracy, one of my listeners, Viv Kerpalani, kindly put me in touch with Thomas Larson Schmidt, who's the president of the European branch of the International Mountain Bike Association, IMBA. So we got together to talk about trail access, what IMBA are doing, what the challenges are, and how we can all work together to improve the situation globally while still making sure we have awesome trails to ride. In this episode, Thomas provides some things to consider when we're building trails and using the outdoors. He talks about the importance of getting organised and gives some examples of areas where this has worked and led to great results. I hope you find this chat interesting and helpful and I hope that it helps to keep the discussion around trail access and advocacy going because it is super important. I've put a load of useful links in the show notes for this episode for you too. So downtimepodcast.com, this episode, and you'll find that all there. All right, without further ado, here's Imber Europe's president, Thomas Larson Schmidt. Thomas Larson Schmidt, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Things are good, thank you. Started my day off right today, so happy about that. Yeah, you were just saying you managed to squeeze a mountain bike ride in before your first Zoom meeting of the day, so that's pretty good. Well, I'm I'm an early riser, so I, I I often get up before the rest of the family, and then I just chucked in some some oatmeal and just uh, jumped on the bike and took a ride on my local trail back. Quick shower, coffee, and then ready for the first Zoom meeting before nine. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Good stuff. And so you're the president of IMBA Europe, is that right? Am I getting that right? Yes, that's correct. I'm the president of, of the IMBA Europe board. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell us then a little bit about kind of what IMBA is and where IMBA comes from, just to give people a little bit of background for, for those people that might not have heard of it. Well, IMBA has a long story, and it's 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 International Mountain Bike Association, and it, it started up with with the birth of mountain biking in California, I guess, and uh, around uh, you know a few years later, there's uh, a lot of people riding around the mountains over there, and it was causing some troubles with other uses of nature, and 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 that burning platform just inspired some local advocates to to start working more organized with it and they talked about this uh, mountain biking association and then somebody just thought it they should call it international like most stuff in in US is called international <laughs> so in 88 it was it was is founded about the same time you know specialized in SRAM and and these so they kind of grew up together in 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 the US mm-hmm. and uh when we came into to this millennia, then the, the popularity of mountain biking, both in the UK, but also in the rest of Europe, and I guess the rest of the world, just also were on that rise. And we saw some of the, the same problems, some of the same discussions about uh, bans and, and uh, yeah, stuff like this. So uh, in around 2010 there started being talks within the US about having a, a European uh, division and they, there was a lot of talk about how to get that done and and it was decided in 12 to found Imba Europe as uh, an umbrella organization that's going to work on an international European level mm-hmm. and then have national organizations as members and also associations or forestry uh, uh, commissions or whatever as associate uh, members of the organization. So trying to be that umbrella that that pulls together uh, uh, different national organizations working with these specific topics, access to nature for, for mountain biking, more people on bikes, uh, 
and uh, great mountain bike trails for everybody. Sounds like a, a very fine aspiration. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, over the, the years, in, in 2014 was the first uh, European uh, summit within by Europe. And I visited, it was in Spain, just outside Madrid. And uh, then in 15, I, I joined the board. And in 17, uh, the former president uh, stepped back and we sort of divided roles within the board. And I got the presidency in, in 17 and has been the president ever since. Coming up yeah. for a re-election here later this spring. We'll see so, if they still want me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how does it work? Like, is it is it a charity? How is it funded? Do you guys get paid? Like, how does it all fit together? Well, it's no, it's it's an NGO. Uh huh. Yeah. So so working for for the better of 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 man through great trails and and great uh, places to ride. I guess um, we initially uh, specialized and SRAM were helping out with the foundation of uh, and the founding of, of the organization and helping out with donations and uh, so that we could uh, hire the one employee uh, that we have. <laughs> and, and we still get a, a, a very generous donation from uh, SRAM Foundation uh, still, but we also have membership uh, uh, donations and we have uh, uh, different collaborations and we are part of some uh, European projects that also generates uh, some income uh, so different revenue streams now but uh, still uh, great support from SRAM Foundation okay and is there donations from sort of the general public from riders and stuff as well or is it just that well, side it's of been <laughs> it's been a discussion for for many years how, how do we go about this because what we as an umbrella would like to do is to support and strengthen the national organizations so mainly the national organizations will get uh, the donations and the memberships. And then we, as an umbrella, an international umbrella, will try to help uh, uh, raise knowledge levels and uh, help uh, knowledge to flow freely between these national membership organizations so that they can increase capacity and knowledge and so on. Okay, got you. Mm. So yeah, the the vast yeah. majority of flow from donations would ideally go into the national bodies, basically. Yeah, and we we want we want them to grow as strong as possible, and then we can coordinate that knowledge uh, sharing and and yeah, the working across borders. Uh, we can take care of that, and we can have the role of lobbying within the EU and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. which is harder for the national organizations. They're busy enough, you know, trying to make work in their own home countries. For sure. And how did you personally get involved with IMBA then? Well, I, I've been riding mountain bikes uh, since the mid-90s, so okay. more than 25 years. And before that, I just rode my city bike in, in the woods. When I bent my third fork, my dad was really angry. <laughs> It was like 10 quid every time he had to change the fork. Uh, so so I just always enjoyed that experience of biking and most of all biking in nature. And then I just read about this uh, organization, IMBA, you know, in in, in the, the early 90s. And I thought it was super cool, you know, somebody working to organize advocacy and great trails. That was just insane so i just joined the the u.s department even though i would never get anything out of it but i got uh, you know the uh, membership socks every year 
<laughs> so I could put those on and feel super cool and advocacy-like. And then in Denmark, where I live, it started slowly uh, around 2000. Uh, we got the first official trail and some of the same problems that has been seen in, in other countries and in the States uh, were, were popping up in Denmark too. And then I started you know, looking into this and reading newsletters from in the US, I, I kind of was one of the first who, who really thought, okay, let's do something because that first official trail was just simply really, really badly built. Right. So it, it became horrible immediately. It's just mud and clay and it got 10 meters wide in the winter and then shrunk again in the summer and it was it was horrible. So we started taking some of the, the books from Imba and, and suggesting to the Forestry Commission that we should reroute some places and stuff. So I was part of that first rebuild of uh, stretches of that first official trail. Mm-hmm. And then local, um, local guys started forming small groups around trail building uh, around 2000. Seven, eight, nine, ten, and I just—I uh, I thought somebody. Well, in Denmark there was a, a group of guys who I started organizing these rebuild days, and some other guys started a small organization that wanted to talk about the advocacy part. But it's hard to start a grassroots organization from scratch. It's like four volunteers. So in the end, after a few years of that, we decided to take that organization and and fusion it with the Danish Cycling Association and make a subcommittee under the Danish Cycling Association. So instead of being a new uh, a grassroots organization, all of a sudden you had a hundred year history and you were part of, you know, the whole organizational uh, discussion and, and so you're invited to conferences and stuff like that. And then I was sort of asked if I wanted to join that as as uh, the chairman for that because I was working at that point in time um, in the Danish uh, Outdoor Association that works with advocacy for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I knew about access rules and laws and, and so on. And my um, education is uh, I'm an archaeologist. So I knew about stuff that was protected and the landscape and so on. So I was just, and I was riding mountain bikes. Somebody just tapped me on the shoulder and was like, would you like to, to, to do this? And, and being able to speak for the Danish uh, Cycling Association gave me a, a bigger voice. So I said yes to that and joined that, uh, I think in 2013. Uh, and the first thing I thought was, well, how do I do this? How do I, what do you do? How do you get you know, trail builders from all over Denmark to talk together. How do you get them to share knowledge? And this was what inspired me to go to the first Imbe-Europe Summit. And I, I went there and I saw what power comes out of getting like 60, 70 uh, nerds about trail building and advocacy together, how much power that has. And I went straight home to Denmark and just copied the whole thing and did the first trail builder conference in Denmark and gathered 80 enthusiasts from all over Denmark and had them awesome. learn from each other. And then it started rolling. We started being invited to conferences and to meetings with the Forestry Commission and so on. And it got sort of got the whole thing organized. So I started doing that in Denmark. And at the same time, then in 15, I was invited into the board of Imba Europe. 
So that knowledge from other countries and other solutions from all over Europe just seeved into the work that I was doing in, in, in Denmark as well. Awesome. So it, it just grew, I guess, from the yeah. first uh, reroute uh, a day, <laughs> you know, with sodas and a few sandwiches and eight volunteers uh, and, and going <laughs> out and trying to do something good. It, it kind of grew and, and the timing was right and everything was ready and the problems were big enough, you know. And in, in the environmental ministry in Denmark, yeah, there was rumors that they were discussing to just ban it altogether because there was too much complaints about these people riding all over the place. Wow. So having that voice and that sort of what we did in Denmark, actually with, with, with that committee, we started working with the framework. How can we communicate with authorities and build common framework that within that broad framework, local volunteer groups can act mm -hmm. and not be met with, no, you have to apply here, you have to apply here. So getting the, the general rules in place and having that conversation on behalf of all the local groups, trail building, and then more groups started because they saw it could work in one forest under the Forestry Commission, and then other groups started. And then here now, Like in 1999, we had zero trails and zero volunteers in Denmark. And now we have more than 200 official trails. All trails have volunteers involved in building, uh, establishing, and maintaining. So it's like Fantastic. a huge volunteer adventure here. And some of that learning, of course, goes into my work within the EU. And, and some of the learnings from the other European countries goes into my work in Denmark. So, yeah goes back and forth yeah that's no, great to hear i, I want to sort of i guess set the scene a little bit and talk a bit about trail access when you wind the clock back because not you know some of our listeners have been riding a very long time but not everyone's as old as me and uh there are people that are newer to the sport so when you wind that clock back 25 30 years when mountain biking was still relatively new certainly in the uk like my experience at least was that we were not welcome in the countryside generally there was a a lot of hesitation to allow us into areas suddenly there was this new form of transport that was moving quickly and creating its own trails and there was a lot of um i guess challenges to be allowed to ride places often trails were being closed or knocked mm -hmm. down or whatever it was it was a really yeah it was tough to find places to ride to feel welcome and i think it relied on a lot of the work done by people like imba a lot of voluntary organizations but also on riders generally being good citizens and good outdoor users um so that the the rest of the outdoor world started to see us in a positive light um and i i've, I've even heard rumors i don't know much about the us side of things but i've heard rumors um that at mammoth mountain for example the They were putting in um, legislation on what level of componentry could be on bikes to basically try and force that only XC riders could be on the hill. You know, they they didn't want people riding the gravity side of things. They didn't want people riding at speed. There's been a lot of resistance over time, and it, we've come a long way. And I, I yeah, I wondered what your experience was on that. You've obviously been on a similar journey, sort of 25, 30 mm. years of riding it feels like certainly up until relatively recently, we've been on a very positive trajectory with 
with access and rights and acceptance in the outdoor world what yeah what's your take on that from your experience well my my take is that uh you're more willing to do good if you're on a burning platform and i think that the most places most countries in europe had the same experience in the late 80s and the early 90s they were the new boy in the class i have a, a danish uh, uh forestry worker, nature interpreter who works for the Danish Forestry Commission. And he was like, well, it's like on a bus, you know, so there's, there's 20 seats and there's 10 people on the bus. They'll sit one person on each seat. And all of a sudden the bus stops and this one guy steps on board and he has a muddy mountain bike over his shoulder. Who wants to sit with him? He's new. They don't know him. They normally ride on the bus and they have their seats and they sit there on the same seat every day and everything is as it used to be. And then you get this new guy in the class. What we could see in Denmark was that before mountain biking, it was orienteering runners. Okay. They were the new boys. And before that, it was uh, horseback riding. Uh-huh. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, the horses were all over. They were destroying the forest roads. and And then... The, the orienteering runners that became a little bigger, and then they got all the, the the flack, and then mountain biking came, and everybody just took a sigh of relief because ah, okay, all the heat is going to the mountain bikers now. The <laughs> else can just relax now. <laughs> so we 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 see a, a small shift right now to towards heat going towards uh, gravel riders. Okay. Yes, with this fairy tale in Denmark, with all the, the volunteers building local trails away from all the other trails in the forest, you know, establishing new mountain bike specific trails. And after 15 years of working with that, we kind of succeeded and we got peace in the forest. And then the gravel riders came and there's just riding super fast on the forest road, you know, amongst, uh, you know, people walking the dog and so on. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, in that respect, I think it never ends. And we need to, to realize that there's always going to be an ongoing dialogue about how do we fit in the forest together so that as many users as possible can have a good experience. And we need to talk about this constantly. Mm-hmm. It's a never-ending dialogue about how do we share, how do we meet, how do we talk about this, and how do we manage to make good solutions for as many as possible. And yeah. not legislate and uh, based on the bad apples, I guess. Because that's what mostly, you know, you have 20, 30, 50 mountain bikers passing, saying hello, have a nice day. And then you get number 51. It's like, yeah, acting uh, really bad and riding too close and too fast or yelling or something like this. And that one bad experience can really infiltrate and, and influence uh, what happens on local rules and, and trail closures and so on. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, I, I think uh, most of all the solution is just organize yourself. Yeah. So you can sit at the table and don't leave the table. Just stay at the table. Keep talking. Keep the dialogue going. Make, make solutions together. Always, always. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the situation today. And I think it feels like there's a number of things that have changed over time, which maybe make the challenge bigger than it was 25, 30 years ago. I guess 
bikes have got more capable for starters and there's mm. maybe a bit of a change in riding style the gravity side of the sport didn't really exist when we first entered the countryside we might have enjoyed going downhill more than we enjoyed going uphill but it wasn't at the same sort of level as that side of the sport is now the bikes certainly weren't as capable as riding of riding down that terrain and riding that fast there's obviously been a massive increase in popularity which is more people out in the outdoors and in the woods which is a, is a nice problem to have but it, it's a challenge um and i think the maybe some a, a lot of early mountain bikers probably already had a bit of an outdoors background which attracted them to it yeah and that doesn't necessarily <laughs> that's not necessarily true now people are coming from different no. walks of life you've got the media is way more accessible so there's you know thousands of videos of influencers and youtubers and athletes digging rut tracks and lomas and smashing them to bits and all of that sort of stuff to inspire people and drive people you've got strava and trail forks so it's a lot easier to find trails it's also you're you're maybe encouraged to straight line corners or to find ways of riding things faster which is creating more lines more usage you've got mm. e-bikes coming on board which lower the barrier barrier to entry on fitness they up the amount of kind of trail time people are getting or the amount of use the trails are getting they're also really good for trail building because you can carry your tools and you can get up and down the hill easily there's all this kind of stuff that's gone on or is and going then, on yeah and then uh, you take COVID 19 and yeah that just shines a light on all the small problems we used to have uh-huh. <laughs> and and it just magnifies it yeah hugely so i guess everything that was wrong but was under the radar is now getting into the light i guess uh, yeah so in that respect you can approach it two ways and just see a lot of problems or you can see the opportunity to have a good conversation about what what was actually wrong before that we weren't fixing but now we need to talk about it we need to fix it and i think there's always been a discussion about this image um most mountain bikers are just riding for exercise locally and are just ordinary people I, that's that's uh, my impression, but you don't see ads almost without the full face helmets or the enduro and the shroud ping and 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 all this. So anybody who's not mountain biking and tries to look into it will get a sort of like a twisted image of what mountain biking is. Yeah, and then if you add all the stuff that you mentioned, you know, with with all of the YouTubers and the influencers and so on, just shrouding away, just digging ruts uh, into hillsides uh, on on private land and so on, then then that's not helping, at least the advocacy side of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, you know, at 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 times it looks fun, but this is not accessible for for new people starting into the sport. You know, you have to train a lot of of gravity riding to 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 do that kind of shroud rut riding down a hillside and mm. and have anything fun, remotely fun out of that. Yeah. Most people would just hurt themselves if that's where they think they should start. So so we need what I think is we need to get more organized and we need to be part of the discussion and we need to start making introductory facilities 
like green trails close to home. If you imagine that, or blue trails, just trails that are easy accessible from where people live and are not too hard as an introduction that can inspire people to get out and exercise. And then when they slowly get into shape and get more confident on the bike, maybe take a course, find out about positioning on the bike and use both both brakes and you know, get so enthusiastic, they might even buy a little bit better bike that helps them instead of working against them. Then they can start venturing further into the countryside and to harder trails. But those trails need to be managed, but not mismanaged. You don't want to take, I don't know, it's like, there's, there's this rumor about Imba trails that it's dumbing down the trails. and And what I see is that the attitude in both Imba US and Imba Europe by now, as we have matured over many years in Imba US, more than 30 years, while Imba Europe can, can help with trails from everything from rake and ride to just wilderness uh, crazy trails out in the back country. So anything that works where it's supposed to go. So if it's a community trail close to a place where many people live, you need to think about who's going to use this trail, how much heavy use it's going to take, and what kind of, of trail do you need to put in. And having those reflections instead of just uh, you know going out, hacking a little bit, and then starting it up, like the first official trail in Denmark, that was just horrible. And it, it, it simply didn't do anything good for Anybody walking in the forest, looking at that trail in wintertime, just thinking mountain bikers are destroying nature. Yeah. And it wasn't even fun to ride. It was just a huge mud pile. It's, it's, it, was, it was uninteresting and it would scare beginners away. It, they, they would you know, ride at five kilometers an hour and they would fall over. The hubs would disappear into mud pits and, and it, was, it was no fun. But some people thought, okay, this is mountain biking. Um, but now with, with the knowledge uh, lift that, has, that we have seen and trails are getting better, the rain rolls off and it keeps drier modes. It can carry a much heavier user load and, and it has built in uh, features, uh, rolling contours or uh, uh, rock drop-offs or whatever. But it's, it's, it's designed to 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 carry the load that it's it's going to take and take the beating so that makes it more fun and and if you can do that working together with land managers and landowners then all of a sudden you have a whole new approach where you can legalize and you know bump up the fun factor and uh, the sustainability of the trail and that's important as well because I don't think any mountain bikers really want to destroy nature. Sometimes when you look at badly made trails, that's what's happening. Uh, so how do we go about this? How do we use nature and protect nature? How do we become both yeah, uh, heavy users of the land, but also advocates for preservation and, and good behavior and, and all this. And this is where, where the advocacy part becomes interesting. As I think if we want to move forward, we need to see mountain biking as part of the solution, not part of the problem. We need to see, okay, what can mountain biking do 
towards societal challenges. Can mountain biking help fight obesity? Can it help with diversity, inclusion? Can we uh, uh, help nature? Can we preserve nature? Can we plan the trails so that they pass by great nature experiences? And so you can see them and access them. But if you stay on the trail, you don't destroy them. So finding that balance is super important. This is where we have a very important role as advocates to be part of the planning and the discussions. Um, so this is an ideal solution, but it's not always that easy, you know, because access rights can be, I don't know what to say, painful. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. to work with, you know, if you have a group of enthusiastic volunteers that end up that the legislation in the country they live in is, is simply so hard that it makes them say, well, then this is not possible. I'll just go out and build illegal pirate trails. Yeah. And I guess that's to an extent that's kind of certainly in the UK at the moment, there's definitely been a big growth in that. So COVID has given a lot of people time. It's also meant they mm. can't get to where they might normally ride and they're looking to build things or create things locally. Mm. And that's definitely led to some, some issues. There's been various coverage in the press, pretty negative coverage of mountain bikers, you know, images of wrecked hillsides and yeah. rubbish everywhere and all this kind of stuff. But I can see it from those people's side that you know they want yeah it's their sport they want to have fun it's how do they even go about it It, 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 the the task seems huge like going out and digging a trail is relatively easy but doing it and making it legal sustainable all that kind of stuff can be massively overwhelming i think for a lot of people so i I guess the question is where where do you start how do we help these people that have got loads of energy and loads of passion for the sport. They want to build great trails. How do we help them do it in a way that's good for everyone, not just those particular riders? I think, well, there's kind of two approaches to this. Uh, one of is, of course, to, to look outside the boundaries of, of uh, the area you're in what works other places. And this is where Imba Europe uh, kind of excels because we bring together national organizations from all over Europe and they have different problems with different legislations and, and different approaches and all this. But then again, when we sit and discuss, you know, after a long day with good uh, talks at an Imba Europe summit, it ends up some of the problems are generic. Some yep. of the stuff is the same. And we can help each other to learn more about how to go about it. But if you're in, 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 uh, in England, then the access laws will be different than in Wales and also different than in, in Scotland, Northern Ireland, and so on. And, uh, and the Scottish approach is getting better results than the other approaches, as I see it right now. So look to your neighbors to the north, uh, Developing mountain biking in Scotland uh, are, are doing great work. Yeah. Putting mountain biking in as part of the solution with tourism, with income, with uh, a revenue, with obesity, with local community building and so on. How do, how do we make mountain biking part of solving societal problems? And uh, so, but to go there, you need to organize. 
and they have scale as well which helps them right they've, they've yeah. grown to a point they've got a community or a, a yeah a, a, an amount of people working together that give them scale that have enabled them to do things they've got been able to secure government funding yeah. i guess that's that scale isn't present when you're just down the local little bit of woods in the bit of the city that you live in yeah it's it's a but, lot harder but, to have that that but, that but, power of scale yeah but to get stuff to work locally what i've experienced from the danish model and also what i can see in scotland if you want local volunteers to engage you need to have somebody working on a national level to have the framework molded into a place where it actually gives uh, um, uh, possibilities into the hands of the local volunteers, into mm -hmm. the community building. So it becomes a tool. And in that respect, you need to organize on a national level so that that can do the lobbying, can do the talks, can do the politics, can have some of the rules change, can, can tweak those things so it becomes easier for the locals. And Imba Europe, above that as an umbrella, is trying to, to get that knowledge to flow freely across the borders in, in, in Europe so the national organizations can help their local volunteer groups or their local communities to, to work uh, better. So it needs to be sort of like a, a dual uh, uh, effort. Somebody needs to take responsibility and organize themselves on a national level and mm -hmm. take the politics on. And somebody then needs to make good examples locally so that the national body can say, okay, well, it did work in this local community. Mm -hmm. So it can work in the neighboring community. Uh, and, and, and then it can feed off each other and it can grow uh, together. Uh, I think this is this is really important. Do you think that local national model is functioning in a lot of Europe, when, or at least in popular mountain biking areas within Europe? Uh, it, it it differs. Uh, we have uh, more than twenty national uh, uh, organisations as as members, and and in some countries the legislation is just uh, horrific, and 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 the conservative approach to this new thing, <laughs> mountain biking, yeah. can be can be uh, horrible in some countries. But then in other countries, uh, they make it work locally. In some countries, it's it's by law super illegal. But then the national tourist agency goes out and does adverts to to lure tourists to come to that country and ride mountain bikes. So some places the law exists. Mm -hmm. But but they don't really they, they kind of make it work anyway. And then mm -hmm. in other countries, it's really strict. If it's the law, it's the law, and you can't change that. And then it becomes as as I see it, the harder the harder the the, the volunteers are met, and and the the more difficult getting things done are, the more pirate trails you will see. Yeah. So what do you want? Do you want organized legal trails that are sustainable or do you want uh, sort of anarchistic uh, uh, pirate trails as a system in, in, in your country? Yeah. Let's, let's assume that we'd like to get to a point where <laughs> the, the trails are kind of legitimate, well-supported. Um, if, if I'm, let's say I'm out digging trails and I'd like to get to the point where the trails that I'm creating 
are supported in that way, what kind of steps should I go through and where should I be looking for help? And I accept, I, I guess this is going to vary from country to country, but are there some, some kind of guidelines that you can give people like, here's some things that you need to try and do. Here's where you might want to look. Well, with the stuff we talked about before, about organizing yourself, I think that's, that's the key point. First of all, you need to organize yourself and then you need to become smarter. You need to, to, to bump up your knowledge. And, and these are some of the things that we're looking into. We, we, we are part of uh, an EU Erasmus Plus project right now, together with developing mountain biking uh, uh, in Scotland. Uh, and uh, we, it's seven different countries part of this, this uh, project, and it's called DIRT. Mm-hmm. Uh, developing inter-European uh, trail builder training. So what we're trying to, to, to develop together is an international standard for trail building. We're, we're building an education uh, uh, so you can get 30 ECTS points. If you take these courses and do the exam, you can get a certificate that you have been trained for six months uh, to do trail building. You can be part of, of an education in an education institution, mm-hmm. but it can also be moduled into courses for volunteers so they can become, uh, well, if they don't get any money, I guess they won't be professionalized, but they be- can become the experts that are needed to get the trails, to have the reflections that needs to go in before you put in the trail. Uh, okay, where does uh, the, the, the very protected and rare eagle nest Okay, then we divide, you know, direct the trail around that area. Uh, uh, we don't go over the badger's nest and, and we don't plow through uh, uh, rare plants and so on. So when you get that higher level of knowledge about the trail building and the considerations that needs to go in before you put in the trail, then you will be a better uh, uh, a better partner in local uh, uh, groups working together. It could be municipality, forestry commission, and local volunteer group that each have competencies, but the municipality and the forestry commission might not know anything about sustainable trail building and, and these aspects. But if the expertise is uh, made better for the volunteer groups, for these small organized groups and on the national level, that they can speak with a more unified uh, voice and be smart about it, then they'll be a better partner to work with and will get better results in the end. So this is what we want to use this for, is to raise the knowledge and the skill going into building these trails and also into the planning and the, and the, the design of them. Mm-hmm to make it a better tool to, to make good solutions that work. Yeah. So if you can see in, in, in the future, if, if local volunteers in, in, uh, in England can get access to this uh, education, can better their knowledge and their, their skills, and then uh, become part of, of uh, rural development or local community building. And uh, yeah, then it will be moving towards being, like I said before, part of the solution instead of part of the problem. One of the things that we're looking into that we, we see from 
the years of bringing all these national organizations together that this was this was a gap. This was needed. They, they, they didn't really exist and a trailbuilder uh, education and it hadn't been coordinated and, and so on. So so there was uh, definitely a, a knowledge gap there and, and we're trying to build it now. We'll be ready in 22, I think, uh, with the finished results and it will be accessible uh, through Ember Europe. Okay. And in the absence of that, I think, there's an Imber book, isn't there? Is it called Trail Solutions yeah, or something? Yeah, uh, they made they made four, I think. Uh, but yeah, Trail Solutions is a it's a, it's a good book. It's a bit dated, uh, and I think it's sold out many places. But uh, yeah. it's it's you, you should be able to get it in in antique bookstores or, or <laughs> used uh, on Amazon or something like that. It's it is on Amazon. I checked. Yeah, I yeah, think okay. You can, yeah. you can still get no. a copy of it. It's not cheap. It is a good. But... It is a good book, and the, the basic principles is is in there. And now we're we're taking some of that and and updating others because a lot of stuff happened since they wrote that book. Like you said about the bikes getting better and uh, the whole approach to uh, uh the gravity riding is is changing and uh and and all these things needs to be updated uh you know on on a regular basis uh, to keep it uh fresh i guess yeah so that i guess that sort of covers like building or helping people understand how to build le- the sustainable trails good quality trails what about the the legal side of things, the, the the access, the insurance, all of that sort of stuff. How can people start to get connected with the landowner or with a, a, a local or a national body that can help them understand the legal side of things? Because I think probably, although there is a lot of work and a lot of understanding in building good trails, it's probably often that the legal side of things that is m- more complex and maybe a bit more daunting. Yeah. Well, this is where we see the places we see the, the best success in this area is where somebody takes responsibility and organize on a national level. Mm-hmm. They sit down and read the rule book, read the law, and sort of get it in place. What can you do and what can't you do? And also identifies what's working against a possible, uh, no, a, a positive development of this uh, sector, and then starts lobbying about it. And starts, you know, exemplify. Well, this could have been a good project, but it ended bad because uh, the rules or the legislation here forced the volunteers uh, away. Can be there can be rules that uh, you, rules for, for construction. If it if it's the same for a volunteer group as for a professional uh, construction company, then just applying for uh, uh, permits and and what kind of stuff you need as a as a local volunteer group going out with a shovel, it's it becomes impossible uh, to to navigate and and get things done, and that in the end ends up with well, it's it's impossible to navigate here, so we'll just go out and, and dig, you know, after dark or <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so. Having that uh, uh, centralized uh, approach to it, and and, and those people could uh, very well become members of of Imba Europe and 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 learn from other European uh, access nerds <laughs> at at summits and online meetings and so on, and 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 then work uh, towards some 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 good solutions. I think it's it's it's. It's it's pretty basic. You need you need to do to put in the work if you want to change the world. 
but the pioneer work is always hard. That's how it is, you know. Um, and uh, and but I think what we see now, you have a good example in with developing mountain biking in Scotland. It would be for the UK, I say, would be a good to to have good uh, constructive uh, conversations with the, with them. I believe they are organizational, somehow a part of British cycling. Okay. So maybe start having uh, discussions with the national organizations that already exist. Okay, what will happen to uh, English mountain biking if mountain biking is banned? What will that do to international competition? What will it do to talent development? Because it's it's all part of a big ecosystem. Even though there's a lot of just local guys, you know, everyday people riding mountain bikes and enjoying that and having a blast, then it's also a rooster for talents and for uh, athletes and uh, uh, winning medals. And, and you, you sh- this needs to 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 work together and support each other. And this is one of the ideas we had when we started the committee within the Danish Cycling Association is that, well, if we can secure local backing and local arrangements around uh, local trails, we will have a lot more kids riding. Mm-hmm. Then the Danish Cycling Association will have a much bigger rooster for talent. And yeah, I think we are not the biggest country in the world, but I think we're always in the top 10 uh, within the mountain bike uh, international uh, competition uh, and so on. Yeah, We just had a German Bundesliga race where a Dane uh, won the elite men and a Dane won the elite women. So it's 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 going pretty good. And we, in my local city, it's a city of 50,000 people. We have a local mountain bike club, 200 uh, members, but 65 of those members are kids. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. we've got a lot of kids out riding bikes in the forest, and it's fun for them. And the parents don't need to worry about them getting hit by a car because there's no cars in the forest. So it's, it's, it's safe. It's fun. They come home. They're tired. They're dirty. And they're happy. And yeah. that's uh, that's uh, three good signs for success. <laughs> for kids being out. Is is there a way for people? I don't know if it's through Imber or elsewhere. Is there like an online resource to help people find out who their national body is or locate maybe what their local sort of I don't know mountain bike club or uh, organization might find be? Out. Yeah, always look. Is there a local mountain bike club? Then somebody will at in some extent, have organized themselves. Join that, join existing uh, organized bodies and uh, say, well, if they don't work with advocacy and trail building, we'll say, well, can I do a subcommittee in, in the mountain bike club about this? I, most, I think, would we'll, we'll just say yes, of course. Uh, and then, you know, look into, okay, what kind of bicycling national organizations do we have? And who could possibly be influenced to stand up for grassroots mountain biking? And that, that, those questions are not easy questions, but they need to be asked. Who will work for grassroots mountain biking in my country? Uh, what kind of national body would take this on? Um, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a tricky challenge for sure. It is a tricky challenge, uh, but uh, I think 
as soon as somebody grabs it, then there are structures that can help. Mm-hmm. Like in Europe, there is an umbrella and we can share knowledge and we can very quickly help people, you know, what do you need to focus on? How do you need to work? Let's, yeah, we, we can get you together with these three countries who have similar uh, problems in their countries and look at their solutions and so on. You can very quickly hop into this whole network that has experience and so on. So yeah. that's easier now than it was uh, 10 years ago. For sure. Yeah. I think on the, like, the illegal trail building side of things, the cheeky trails, I think there's maybe a, a fear that, well, A, it's a lot of work to take it from a, a cheeky trail to a legitimate trail, but also there's a fear of the trail being dumbed down or the experience being yeah, dumbed yeah. down. Do you think that's, uh, do you think that's a fair worry or do you think things have progressed to the point where exciting trails can be built in a way that is sustainable and appropriate? I think we need to look at it completely different. We need to have more trails. Mm-hmm. If you want to grow the sport, if you want to grow mountain biking, well, you can't just have double black downhill trails. You will not have easy access for new beginners, for kids, and people just testing or trying to get into the sport. So more introducing facilities close to cities can be small pump tracks and can be small trails that inspire and gives uh, people a smile on their face, get them exercise, get them fit, and then they can venture further out into other trails. But we need more trails. We don't need... It's wrong to look at the existing trails, whether or not they're cheeky trails or not, and say, well, these are the trails we have, and we want 10 times as many people riding them. Well, they will end up being dumbed down. No, why why not keep those, but put in another trail next to it, a blue trail that's for the intermediate rider that just wants exercise and a great nature experience uh, and and. With, with more trails, you can work better with separating different user groups instead of having both horseback riders and, and hikers and mountain bikers all piled together on a bridleway. You can sort of separate the, the, the different uh, traffic uh, patterns into to, to something that's more accessible, that's more fun, and, and is, is a lot less dangerous. So I think we need a lot more trails and we need a lot more trails close to where people live. And mountain biking simply can't be sustainable if you have to drive your car 50 miles to, to go riding. Yeah. That's, you, you need to put on your mountain bike shoes, get on your bike, and ride from your door to a nice trail close to where you live, where you can go riding, have a good nature experience, exercise, have some fun. And then when you go on holiday, like in my family, we, we can't go anywhere on holiday where there's not mountain bike trails close by. <laughs> this is how it is because we ride, you know, on a weekly basis. And then when we go on holiday, we want to go to epic trails. And then when we're home and in the everyday life and, you know, like this morning, I can just pop out and be away for a good hour and, and then get back, take a shower and, and start working. 
So these trails close to home, they don't have to be uh, 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 downhill trails uh, and uh, or, or destinations or anything, but it needs to be be good, accessible local trails that work and get more people into the sport. The more people you get into the sport, the more local trails you have, the more demand there will be for the destinations, more tourist money going into like the Seven Stains, or you can build stuff like that uh, uh, other places and, and get that part of the economy. Then it becomes rural development and it becomes jobs and, and local community building. So, yeah. yeah, more trails instead of discussing how to make the one existing trail within 50 miles look, well, it can stay the exact same. You just put in more trails. That would yeah. be my suggestion. Yeah. So le so legitimizing a spot doesn't necessarily mean that the trails have to change massively and lose maybe the attraction that is in them for a lot of the local mm. riders that have built them. I, I went to a Scottish conference uh, uh, that uh, Developing Mountain Biking in Scotland uh, made, and uh, I rode uh, Glintress. And there's a big variety of trails at that trail center. Well, why not look at that in the same way around your local city? Well, we need an introductory, we need a pump track, we need a, a, a small green trail that can be used by kids uh, just starting out and, and moms trying to get into mountain biking because the kids are riding too fast now. And, and then you need some a, a bit more difficult or intermediate trails that, that venture further into the landscape and then out in the forest you have these uh, gnarly enduro trails where you know the kids and and uh, the full face helmets really can can get a kick out of it and and that can build you know, fitness local stores can thrive and more people can you know get healthier minds and bodies and it, it's it's good stuff if it's done right but if you put in that one trail and it scares all the other nature users in that local area, you're going to have a lot of pushback. So the better we can educate and and teach uh, the, the the knowledge about where do you put the trail and how do you work together with the landowners to make it happen in a good way, so then it can be a gnarly uh, enduro trail. It just doesn't cross the road where people walk with kit carriers where you fly over their heads and, and scare everybody. So those small things uh, needs to uh, be yeah, thought of and considered. So we need more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm all behind more <laughs> trails for sure. And I guess, you know, you touched on something there, like mm. not flying across fire roads and stuff. If we make the assumption that with the best will in the world, we're still going to get people building cheeky trails. And I can, and I can see that we're a long way away from the day where everything is legitimate. You know, that's, it's a great aim, but we're a long way away from it. So we're, let's make the assumption people are still going to carry on going out and building trails in their local woods or whatever it happens to be. Mm. What, what would you ask of these people? Like what things should they be taking into consideration how should they be building? How should they be acting? Is there advice you can give to help minimize the risk of that cheeky trail building causing problems? Yeah. First of all, every time you cross other trails, you need to think about it. How do you cross that fire road? 
Is it with a big road gap that's built low enough so you can hit people in the head with your tires? Or do you actually put up some big rocks and do an S-turn so you're moving into that fire road that you're crossing at a very slow speed? You cut down a few trees and bushes around that passing so that other users can see you from far away and don't get startled. If you can just remove that uh, scare people get, oh, there was a bike right there. If you can take that element out, you will, I think, you know, reduce conflict with 50, 70, 80% or something. Yeah. If you don't startle and scare people, then they can see you coming down and you're doing a big shroud turn and then you're, the, you're, the speed is low, you cross the fire road and then you bomb down on the other side and you're having fun. It's not dangerous and it's not scary. Then the, the, the willingness to listen to you at a town hall meeting will be greater. So it, it works together, you know. Think about what you're doing and how you interact with the other users. That's the social sustainability of the, of the trail. It's not the trail itself, but the social sustainability. How can the trail help everybody in the forest have a nice day? Not just you. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's one approach. And then the, the money-wise, uh, you know, if you build the trail right, then you don't have to put as many volunteer work hours into it and go back and repair and repair and repair. It becomes like an endless, you know, you get these long arms from you know, shoveling. And, and so if you learn a little bit about construction techniques and, and water management, mm-hmm. then you can actually save yourself a lot of resources being wasted. So that's the sort of like the resource uh, sustainability of, of the whole image. And then uh, finally, nature. You need at some point, if the usage, if it's just a few, you know, kids, they dig a trail, they ride the trail, and it's fine. It's, it's not that many. They won't have a very big impact on nature, on soils and erosion and so on. But as soon as those uh, GPS uh, files go out... <laughs> Yeah. And people start, you know, coming in by car loads and so on. And the use, all of a sudden, you have a big rut and, and it gets washed away every time it rains and so on. And all of a sudden, you have an environmental problem. So, so learn a little bit, read the book or take a course and think about what you do and how can this trail that we're putting in be super fun, super enduro and super gnarly, but also at the same time, not destroy the nature and, and the environment that we're in. That's the environmental or the natural sustainability aspect. Those three aspects is, is super important to understand the idea. And then that does, those three aspects of sustainability doesn't say anything about this trail having to be dumbed down. It simply doesn't. It's, it's a way of how do we make this trail, uh, yeah, like I said before, be part of, of a solution, how to make people happy and fit and, and have fun and not destroy anything uh, at the same time. Yeah. And what about the sort of generally just being good citizens of the outdoors? So managing, littering, looking after the space, maybe going beyond just taking your own litter home, but actually picking up other litter that might be there either from other riders or yeah. from other users of the outdoors. 
what I, what I see in Denmark is that the local trail building crews, when they succeed with having good dialogue with the landowners and the trail becomes official and legal and they, the, the pride that goes into the work they do is big and their uh, sense of ownership grows and they start by posting, you know, angry messages uh, on Facebook with if somebody litters on their trail. And in that respect, they become stewards of the mm. trail, but then also stewards of nature. So some of this is, is, this is super important. If people can get access to building legal trails and be part of a volunteer local community building movement, they will also have a sense of ownership and pride of helping out and, you know, bettering the economy and helping nature and also uh, making good facilities for more people to get outside and so on. They're contributing now, yeah. not pirates, you know, sneaking out and doing sneaky trails. So this is super important. And the whole environmental education is, is, is a very important aspect of this because what we generally love is to be outside. It's, 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 it's an outdoors thing. So you want to go outside. You want to see the trees. You want to feel the wind. You know, you want to see the deer and, and have that experience of nature. You know, the season's changing. You know, it becomes cold in the fall. The leaves are falling. And you, you sense that. If you're inside doing Zoom meetings, you miss it. You know, yeah. you're missing out. So one of the things we're, we're part of in, right now in, within Bay Europe is that we're we're part of, of a new project called C, uh, and it's it's uh, the lead partner is uh, uh, I think it's Crash uh, Free Trails in uh, in uh, no Leave No Trace Island mm -hmm. is the lead partner. So yeah. Imba Europe is is part of this uh, uh, group of, of organizations together, for instance, with Europark that looks into nature conservation and doing a, a shared project about how can we get people uh, educated in protecting the environment while still being active and, and having fun outdoors. So the whole sea project is, is something that we also see at, at both an international level, but the, the experience we get from there, of course, will go into the national organizations and, and, and so on. And then, eventually, you know, filter out into the, the local communities where local volunteer or semi-professional trailboarding groups are, are working. Good stuff. Yeah. How do you feel personally about the responsibility we have as, as riders to help um, educate, I guess, newer people entering the sport and entering these environments and making sure that they are kind of abiding by what are effectively unwritten rules of how to act in the countryside, how to work with other trail users, littering, all this sort of stuff. Do you, do you see that we have a responsibility to, to pick up yes. on some of this and to have these tough conversations? Yes, we, we are all, it's, it's a, it's a big problem. The, the planet is burning and uh, there's this uh, trash everywhere and we need to become more, uh, uh, advocates for for this and, and if you have seen the good solution and if, if if you can work with this and help people and what 
we I think we need to act on on all levels on this. So you need if you have a Facebook group about with some trail builders meeting there and people are following, is the trail closed now? Is it too? Has it been raining? Is it is just these this ongoing conversation about how do we care for the environment we're in? How do we care for the trail that the local volunteers built? And then every once in a while, just posting, okay, somebody uh, kind of left, uh, forgot something out on the trail. You can pick it up in my garage, and that you know, it's just a fun or a humoristic approach to to how people can can you know raise help erase the awareness about leave no trace. It's super important that that we take care of the nature that we enjoy so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a big responsibility for each individual of us. Everybody, this is yeah, this is not something for just one organization. Uh, this is an, uh, something for 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 all of us to to take care of. And I mentioned uh, before, I, I, I said it uh, wrong. Which leave no trace, Ireland, but trails, uh, uh, trash free trails yeah. is is working and and are doing super good work and are, are raising this awareness. So. So my hats off uh, to those guys. Uh, super good work going on, on over there uh, with you, and that should, I hope, inspire as many as possible to just pick something up. If every mountain biker picks up one or two pieces of litter they see every time they go riding, well, then we'll have a huge impact. If somebody starts complaining about mountain biking, well, look at this: we we gathered, you know, a ton of of, of trash uh, last year or something. You'll have arguments, and you'll be, yeah like I said before, part of the solution rather than part of the problem. But yeah. we need to to be aware that uh, the, with COVID-19 that we see a lot of inexperienced users and and the whole mountain bike code and all these unwritten rules that you talk about, it's simply not something they know. And, yeah. and that a lack of knowledge, it's, it's it needs to be addressed and it's everybody's responsibility, both the municipality and the government, but also... Each and every one of us needs to to help out as much as we can, you know. Definitely, because yes. Part of a local big... club and and teach you know, do uh, one trust uh, free trail day every year with the kids in the local club. You know, teach them when they're young. Yeah, yeah. Some big challenges ahead, I think, with uh, you know a massive increase in the amount of people using mountain biking as a, a form of exercise or a hobby. It's kind with... of a luxury problem, isn't it? It's a great, yeah, it's a great problem it's, to have. It's a great but, problem uh, to have, yeah. yeah. We have more people outside, more people being active, more people enjoying the outdoors. That is a good thing. Now yeah. we just need to take responsibility and do our best to manage it. And do you feel confident that we can move through this, what feels like a bit of a transition phase, a big growth phase, without suffering, without losing significant access to the countryside? I think so, yes. And one thing I have learned from working with this in Denmark for so long is that most people are on roads, fire roads, and trails. They're simply not outside the trail system. Mm -hmm. So the trail systems and the roads see heavy use, but nature as such does not. And this is a super important distinction, and I've looked into this in Denmark, that all outdoor sports and uh, what we call Frilofslu, uh, Scandinavian outdoor approach, combined in Denmark is no threat 
to any red list plants or animals and is no threat to biodiversity in Denmark. Mm-hmm. It's simply not. But it, what is a threat is the different users being annoyed by each other. Yeah. That is the biggest threat. You know, he, humans annoying humans. And, and then the one part will say that the other part is destroying nature and vice versa. But nobody's destroying nature. People are using the trails over much so they get like made into mud pits and so on. And that will annoy the hiker. It's, mm-hmm. If a lot of new bike riders ride on the trail, well, it will see more wear. And that needs to be addressed. And if it should be a local volunteer group or the municipality or the Forestry Commission taking responsibility, but we need to take responsibility for the trails so they can so they are sustainable towards the, the load they they get. Yeah. And and I see that as a as a common job that we need to solve together. So the best solution is that it's 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 a cooperation between different bodies solving this uh in unison yeah interesting stuff so yeah how do how do we summarize this conversation then so i guess look out for your local mountain bike club it join yeah. it get involved start to understand how that works that's probably a a good step for yeah. everyone right yeah um if you're building trails give it some thought like how yeah. do you want to how do you want this to pan out read like, a book and keep yeah. an eye out for coming dirt uh, uh, education and courses and so on better yourself educate yourself so that you can you know solve more than you solve more problems than you create yeah think yeah. about how the trail interacts with the area with the other users think about what i think that's yeah. a really key point that you said if you can avoid scaring other people effectively worrying other people yeah you're probably going to be in a much better position so you're not flying across fire roads yeah you're not yeah crossing tracks that a lot of walkers use and or freaking out horse riders or whatever happens to be exactly that feels very like a very strong point just and be then a I nice guess, person you know so yeah what's other people that's that's, a, that's a good advice <laughs> yeah so there's well there's a, a there's a a, a group here fairly near me called ride sheffield who do mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of great work out on the trails i met and I some think of those was... guys at a european uh in the eu summit yeah yeah that sounds guys. right yeah even got so they have stickers, a yeah. yeah they have a be nice say hi sticker yeah um and it is that simple really isn't it just be a good citizen be nice to people think about it's and not let, just our space oh, let that whole approach uh, just sort of uh, soak into everything you do, how you cross the fire road, how you engage in your local community. Be nice. Say hi. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's good a good stuff. one. It's a good one for sure. And then yeah, I guess if you want, if you're if you're kind of dreaming bigger than that, then look to people like Ride Sheffield, look to DM Bins, the developing mountain biking in Scotland. Yeah. Look at the successful projects in your nation or in your area. And I I don't think you'll ever find any of those groups aren't willing to talk to you like they're all proud and excited about what they're doing and what they've done and if they can help you replicate that somewhere else they're going to do that right they're not they're not going to be hard people to get hold of and talk to so yeah always reach out i think 
this is exactly what Imba Europe's about, you know, sharing that knowledge, you know, and, and getting the knowledge to, to grow and, uh, you know, get everybody wiser. You know, you meet, you talk, you go home a little bit wiser, and then you try it at home. You come back next year for the next summit. You talk some more, you learn some more, and you go home and you do better. Yeah. Yeah. And will, will there be an Imba summit this year, either virtually or in person? We're looking into it. Uh, so so okay. two things that we're looking into this year. We've been, for the last uh, few years, working with uh, this uh, uh, campaign called uh, Take Care of Your Trails. Mm-hmm. So it started out with a day, and it was a weekend, then it was a week, and then it was a month. Uh, but now we, we, we're, we're thinking about just inviting anybody who wants to do something good for their local trails to, to be part of it, and uh, because of COVID-19, it won't be a competition. And, and if you just pick up some trash or cut some branches or, or, or you know, clear a mud pit, then that's fine. Whatever you can do in small groups and, and within the restrictions in, in your local area. But we're going to do that probably here in May. So mm-hmm. being part of, of a national movement where local volunteers take care of their local trails. So Take Care nice. of Your Trails campaign is coming up. And also we're looking into having a, a summit, but with the restrictions and the COVID-19, it, it's, it's, it's far-fetched, I think, uh, for this okay. year. But uh, we're definitely going to come back because meeting in person, you know, hearing the good speakers and having those discussions and breakout sessions and then riding your bikes together and, you know, having a beer in the evening, it's nothing beats that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, so you're more than welcome next time we have one. <laughs> Thank you. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Well, it's you been, could do a it's podcast been... from the next summit. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's beer involved on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting chatting. Like, I, I, yeah, it's nice to hear a really positive take and a really positive approach to all of this and to hear your thoughts on stuff. It's, it's really, it helps me get my head around it a bit more and it helps me feel more positive about where we're heading and some of the, the challenges that we have, but the, you know, ways to work through them. So thank you for that. If people want to find out more, where's the best place for them to, to head and, and like dive into the Imba, uh, infrastructure, I suppose. Imba Europe, we have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram account, uh, we have a webpage. So just uh, find those, click like, and, uh, ask a question. We're friendly people. So, <laughs> Please just get in touch. Good stuff. Yeah, I'll put uh, I'll put some links to all of that in the show notes for the episode. So if people want to find those, they'll be able to head there and, and get to them nice and easily. Nice. Good stuff. Well, I can probably Excellent. send you uh, some some information about the the C project and other stuff uh, that okay. we have, so you can put that in the notes as well. Fantastic. I'll into that and get that across to you. So uh, nice ready before uh, this one is. Good stuff. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Thomas. It's been really interesting. And uh, yeah, maybe see you at a summit at some point in the not too distant future. I want to thank you as well for being part of this. This has been uh, super fun. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's been a nice opportunity to have a chat again about the, the stuff that I nerd with. And stuff. Uh, the, the stuff that we we try to 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 use as a, as a good instrument uh, towards making the world a better place. Might bike for the masses and trails close to home. It's the way to go. Sounds good. (laughs) Nice one. Cheers, Thomas. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Thomas. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. 
Thanks to Crank Brothers for supporting this episode. They've really hit it out of the park with their first ever range of shoes and I highly recommend you check them out, especially the versions with the boa closure. I'm absolutely loving riding both the Mallet E clip shoes and the Stamp flat pedal shoes. You can check them out at your local Crank Brothers stockist or over at crankbrothers.com. Also thanks to Nukeproof. If you're in the market for a tough, well-designed set of alloy wheels, then definitely give the Nukeproof Horizon V2s a look. If you fancy the chance to win your own set, then you can enter the competition by joining the Nukeproof mailing list before the 1st of April over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash Nukeproof. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you fancy representing the show, then you can grab yourself a t-shirt, sweatshirt or hoodie by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the show. All right, you know what to do. Please keep on spreading the word about the podcast. Let your riding mates know, share the episodes on your social media, email, however it works for you. It makes a massive difference and it all helps me keep this thing going and bringing you new episodes every week. Also, if you've got time, a review on iTunes is really, really helpful too. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon, but until then, get out and ride. <laughs>